Hey there, and welcome back to Sessions, brought to you by Another, a creative studio in Los Angeles. Question for you. How do you remix creative without becoming redundant, derivative, but worst of all, how do you do it without plagiarizing? In this episode, founder Chelsea Matthews and our senior project manager, Jonathan Godino, explore this question and really dig into what the quest for true originality is. Follow along with them as they examine their own inspirations, what it means to really remix creative, and how they can be critical of their own process in order to become better. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Sessions, where we are introducing our new format, where we have dynamic, interesting conversations between two people here at Another. Um, this is something that we kind of alluded to in our first episode when um, Micah and myself were chatting. Um, and this is going to be the first time that we're introducing one of our key team members from the team, Jonathan. Say hi, Jonathan. Hey. Hey. Jonathan is our senior project manager and has been with the company for some time now, several years. Um, we always like to joke that uh, we have to like throw throw thanks to um, a, a client of the past who was the one that actually said, I think you guys need a project manager. And I think my response was along the lines of what does the project manager do? And then Jonathan joined our team. And I don't think we could function as a company without Jonathan and his now team of three additional project managers. So that's a, that's a little backstory to how Jonathan landed here. Um, Jonathan, why don't you kind of like kind of kick off before we jump into some like icebreaker questions. Like when we were first kind of tackling this as a format um, across the team to see who wanted to be involved and what we wanted to talk about, you came up with this topic of remixing without redundancy. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you already kind of introduced that I'm a project manager here, so I'm not technically a creative, but um, I beg to differ. At, well, at work. Um, but I do, you know, I do write a lot and am super interested in creative stuff on the side. And I've always kind of been fascinated on um, the level of remixing that is kind of allowed in different mediums of art. So I guess that's where like this idea first came to mind and why I'd be interested in talking about it on a podcast. But I guess like you could look at like fine art and like, it's it's allowed for like fine artists like painters and stuff like that to like directly rip off like an earlier work of art and like you know like add graffiti to it or like just add like a little touch to it that kind of makes it like a critique or a statement against that art or adding to it and that's totally okay or like filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino's movies are just like dozens and dozens of references to earlier films and genres of art. And like when Paul Thomas Anderson first came around, he was just like a perfect mixture of Martin Scorsese's work and Robert Altman's work and Jonathan Demme's work. And everyone thought that was like super cool. Um, but then like one thing in music always like has kind of brought this to mind for me. And it's like, I remember a few years ago, like there was that Sam Smith song um, stay with me. Do you remember that song? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I guess the melody in, in the chorus is like, um, the same melody as a Tom Petty song called won't back down, but like everything else about the song is like really different. And the songs don't feel similar at all. 
Hmm. Yeah, it became like a lawsuit, and um, because oh, of those, I like, remember two, that. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. And those two bars of melody being like the same melody from the Tom Petty song, like Tom Petty got song songwriting credit on it, um, and then like it's like you know, well, his estate now, I guess, gets like all the you know, res- like the royalties and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Wow. And so like music, like remixing is not okay without credit in any capacity, but in, like other arts it is. So like, it made me think like, what is allowed for an agency um, regarding remixing and what is encouraged or what's like not kosher. And you being a founder of an agency, I thought it'd be good to talk with you about what is allowed. Yeah, you know? Totally. I've, I've found, and I'm sure, you know, we can all kind of relate to this idea that like, there are certain things that feel like they come innately naturally to you as an individual, like your ability to write. Like I personally feel like I challenging. It doesn't come naturally. You know, there's like varied things that we have and music for me is always something that like, I hear it and I'm like, how is there another new song? Like, how is there something that's new? Like, it feels like that feels like the one thing to me that, I mean, going to your point, like it's all kind of inspired by something and it can get into like quite legal ramifications more so than other maybe industries. But um, it is like one of those things that I'm always like, how, how, where do you start with music? Like, it's just so crazy. Um, But yeah, I do. I agree very much. And and I think like this topic was really interesting to me from the perspective of, you know, someone who does, um, you know, work on a, a decent amount of the creative work here and is kind of creative concepting and things like that. And just this, um, even just the most granular sentiment of like the, the recycling of content you see on platforms like Pinterest, which is like typically where you kind of start in projects. I think we're, we're all trying to be much better about being so reliant on channels like that because there are other channels out there now like Arena, et cetera, that are like a new version, a new perspective. But it is so interesting that like you can see the same image kind of cycle through for years and make its way onto like so many different mood boards and so many different treatments. And that is like the kind of thing that then determines in some cases like what a brand looks like or in some cases what like a key photo shoot looks like. And it's just like it feels um, tiring. (laughs) And so it's been something that even like you know, even from like the design side of our work, we started to think about like, okay, what does discovery look like for us? What does that first phase of a project look like? And and that was something that we'll kind of like start to talk about as we, we kind of unpack like some of your perspective and some of my perspective on this. But I do think it's like a, it's hard. Like it's not, it's not obvious. And then there's also this book called Steal Like an Artist. And if you haven't read it, you should. It's a really easy read. And it's actually this idea that like as a creative, it's all everything you do is 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 like foundationally based on stealing ideas and that's kind of okay so it's like it's an interesting perspective on like this kind of a conversation where you know to your point in some places it's like very okay and there's a lot of legal parameters around it and in other cases it's kind of like there's the wild wild west you can kind of do whatever so anyway, I think it's, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. I think it was, it was a very timely um, concept when you first presented it, I think, cause it was something we were thinking about and um, I'm excited to kind of like share our thinking, but we have an icebreaker question to start, which you concepted, which is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Yeah. I mean, I'm always like kind of curious to hear what other people think about this question, you know, like, 
it varies differently for people and kind of like shows their interests inherently or their desires for who they hope to be but might not actually be so for mine I kind of like wrote down two one I think I like live by really well which is um don't sweat the small stuff I I guess that helps a lot as a project manager um just not letting like the little things on a project bother you and um working here a lot as a producer of shoots as well um it everything always kind of turns out okay at least like 95 percent of the time and you know it eventually will so it's like good to not really sweat the small stuff because at the end you're always going to get to the same place um and then i guess the second one that is more like my desire for something that um is advice that i would listen to is just um do the work you know which i don't follow as as much at least in like my personal life and like writing and stuff like that but like the people who are always most successful at things aren't necessarily more genius than anybody else or have um, more mind-blowing ideas they just do the work every day and eventually get amassed you know a good amount of work and people start to notice that and I mean you know that's an agency as well right like from where we started to the type of work we're doing now we just kept doing more work and the work got better and we yeah. got better. So. Yours ladders kind of into mine as well. It's funny, whenever I get asked this question, there's actually something that my husband Alex said to me like very early on that is always the first thing that comes to mind, but I'm always like, but that's not, like I, it doesn't apply to me, but it's funny that it like always rings in my head and it's that um, assumption makes an ass out of you and me. And I actually think that I do a fair amount of assuming things in my life. So I'm like, I can't say that one because it actually doesn't really apply. But I do like this sentiment around it in that, um, you know, it's important to ask questions. It's important to clarify. It's important to um, never fear, feel like you're um, inadequate is the wrong word, but like, ill-prepared if you don't know the answer to something. And this this applies a lot from like an agency perspective too. And, and even like some of our core values, which is kind of like, you know, be like open and transparent in communication. Like ask questions. If you don't know the answer to something, you don't have to pretend like you do. You know, you don't have to like be a, a human that you're not. You can say, I actually don't know the question that. Let me like figure that out. Or, hey, I didn't actually understand what you were saying. Like I, I thought I did, but I didn't. Like, can you clarify for me? Things like that. So that's kind of more like, it's one of those funny things where I'm like, I think I do assume a fair amount. And so I don't feel like I can say that that's the thing that I'm like, this is the best piece of advice, but I do think it's trickled its way in other ways in my life. But I think the other thing, the thing that really is like probably the most profound and is connected to your point about do the work is um, I was told one time early on, if you don't tell people what you want to do, there's no way that they can help you. And that is something that I have um, seen in my life come back to me tenfold and we can apply it to like, starting my first business um, or really honestly just trying to like get out of a full-time job and go freelance. Um, And unless I like went through the process of talking to people, like I'm going to start a company that does this. Nobody really knew what I wanted to do. They, they kind of just assumed that what I was doing is what I wanted to be doing or that, you know, the role I had and whatever career was the role that I was going to continue to do until you start to communicate that. And also I think there's a, level of accountability that comes from within when you do that too because once you start saying you're going to do something people around you are going to wait for you to do it yeah that kind of reminds me of um 
another another like thing that I saw. So the accountability is great, but have you ever read that once you say you're going to do something, it like triggers yeah. like a serotonin release in your brain that like you get the the satisfaction of having yes, already done totally, it. totally, totally. I also think there's a level yeah. of like, I'm not really crazy. I'm not like wild on the word like manifesting, but I do think that, you know, I mean, we do like vision setting exercises as a team and stuff like that, which is like, you know, surface level can be a little cheese, but it, it, there is such an impact in like talking about your goals and your visions and talking about, you know, what you want to achieve and then having people around you kind of hold you accountable to that. But I think to your point, it's also just like putting it out there is like half of it and putting it out there could be you writing on a piece of paper that you're the only person who sees. Um, but you look back on that and you're kind of like, okay, like, did I stand up to what I was going to do? But anyway, we could have like a whole separate conversation around that. Let's dive in to remixing without redundancy. And Jonathan, I'm going to give you the floor. Um, I know you have like some really interesting kind of insights and I'll probably, you know, like pepper some of mine in there too and, and kind of share my POV, but why don't you kind of kick it off for us? Yeah, totally. Um, so I thought it would be best to kind of start out just thinking it from thinking about it from an agency perspective rather than like a personal point of view like why this is important to talk about for an agency. It's kind of, it kind of reminded me of something that Micah has like always said about not just our agency, but agencies in, in general is that um, people hire us for not just the work that we do, but for the, um, the thought that we have and the taste that we have. So essentially agencies um, are selling their, their thinking and their ideas. And um, if what you are selling is your ideas, it seems really important that those ideas aren't plagiarized. Yeah. You know? so, so what is the line between um, influence and, and, and plagiarism when it comes to the work that you do as an agency? Um, Secondly, I think, you know, it's really important. Basically, so many people that we know, whether it's at our own agency or people who have left to start their their own agencies, um, and there's just countless agencies in, in LA, is that in order to to stay current or, or to do good work that resonates with people, you have to kind of be on top of cultural trends and and what is popular or what is resonating with, with, with the current ad environment and really push the envelope there so um you know when you're referencing current stuff um when does it become too redundant and when are you just like recycling other people's ideas and not adding to the yeah. conversation and then thirdly and i think i don't know where i heard this if i don't it could have been from you let's just I'll take, I'll take whatever from, credit i can you. take here but <laughs> <laughs> A, a great agency should be a, a cultural filter, not a mm -hmm. cultural sponge. Um, and so I think as an agency, how are you kind of taking what is current and what is popular and, ref and refining it really and making those ideas better and improving on those ideas rather than just absorbing everything that's happening on the internet and kind of just like vomiting yes. it out as essentially the same thing um and that's something that i feel like we should always keep top of minds um like how are we making what's out there better if and we i think are an extension and i didn't say that but i think it, it's a whoever did it's very applicable um i think the other extension of that too again kind of connecting this back to agency is it's also like your job to help um even like your clients 
steer away from trend where possible. Like there, there's inevitably things that are trend rooted um, that are, you know, kind of necessary and critical in the way that people like consume content, for example, or, you know, engage on certain channels, things like that, that you, you need to kind of play into. But I think we saw like a little bit of this in, in the backlash of like the, the DTC culture, like creating this whole sentiment of blands and like, you know, these just kind of like very bland brands. And it was like super hot for a while. And it was just kind of like recycled, recycled, recycled. And you see, like we had clients coming who, you know, they want to look like this next thing. And you, it's your in a way to try to push that and to try to challenge the idea if it does feel like it's too rooted in, like if it's too spongy per se, as opposed to just allowing it to be like a key insight on what people are, you know, gravitating to and letting that drive it. So I think it's like such a, it's such an important thing, even for ourselves when we're thinking about our creative work is like, is this just a bunch of trends on a page or is this actually rooted in an insight behind this brand that like I can really get behind or feels like it has longevity um, depending on obviously the need, like something if you're shooting for like a holiday or something, does it need to have longevity? But you, you get my, my gist. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, it's super important to think about the kind of the, the intent of, of the project you're working on and, um, and what the, those, the brand's core values are um, when thinking about a reference that you might make in, in a new work. And so um, I think like the expression, um, don't make two plus two equal five is, mm -hmm. is kind of important here. Like say you, you saw like a really great uh, com commercial or set design that like blew your minds and, and you're super amped on it, but you know, um, it doesn't have anything to do with um, the project you're actually working on or, or the intent of what the brand is trying to say with that um, campaign. Um, don't try and make that reference fit if it's not going to fit. Um, Cause like no matter what two plus two won't equal five, you know, like what you're inspired by also has to fit. And we've been the there so doing. many times. Like um, there, I can, I can think of specific, I mean, pitches or, or like presentations where you realize um, that you've gotten lost down a rabbit hole that is no longer applicable to the brand, but you're so, or not even the brand, like whatever it is that you're, you're working towards and then you're like, I'm so lost in this concept and, and also so like in love with it, but you're kind of like, is this actually the thing that's going to work or is this just like a cool concept? You know, it, it, I, I, and you know, you know, instantly that you're like, you like lost sight a little bit. So I think that that's such a, such an important insight. And I think like just, you know, in brainstorms and, and really in just an agency environment, but just the level of collaboration that we have here as an agency, you know, it, it distills a new idea from a pool of references. So um, that's why I think collaboration is, is so important as an agency to kind of make mm -hmm. sure that plagiarism doesn't happen. Um, if one if one person is coming up with, with the idea, their pool of references is much smaller, but if they bring something that they like to the table, um, that mixes with a book that, you know, a graphic designer here read, and then that mixes with, an article that you read on the cut or something like that. Like all of those things kind of come together to create something new um, from these various pieces of inspiration um, that really allow for 
less plagiarism and more kind of an opportunity for innovation mm-hmm. and thought on an idea. Like I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that here as an agency that we can have, you know, that brainstorming environment um, because that's truly where the best ideas come out. But then also like it's that, that, that melting pot, right. That um, makes something different. Um, otherwise I'm just going to keep referencing the same three things and what I'm interested in, which is just like <laughs> movies and more movies probably. So. I love that. Where do you go? You talk um, a little bit about like, when you think about the collaboration in like a team setting, and then you obviously have personal creative, um, like interests and, and kind of projects outside of work. Like in those things, I imagine you're kind of more working in isolation. Like what, where do you, do you like find that you go to like friends and peers to like bounce an idea or like read something you've written or like, how do you kind of find that when you are maybe like, or you're a freelancer or you're someone who's just got like endeavors independently outside of work? Definitely. I think like the first person who reads anything I write is like, um, my wife, Cammie. Um, she's kind of like knows me the best of of anybody and knows like what I'm at least attempting to do with whatever I'm working on so I think she's like a good like um filter you know (laughs) and yeah initial filter of of my intent um and then it goes to like a a broader um group of friends I think like it, it should be a mixture right say if like you're writing fiction or you're writing like a screenplay or something like that it's it's good to bring that to people who are also doing that thing other filmmakers or other writers but then it's also important to have the perspective of somebody who isn't even um remotely related to that field right and to kind of get that outsider perspective um that that won't be so focused on like what say what a screenplay should be or what a commercial should be but just um, can see the the idea from yeah. the point of view of like, you know, a teacher or like someone who works in something that is a completely different field. Um, and I think like that kind of goes back to um, what our brainstorms are. Like everyone, like we all work doing advertising technically, but like we have copywriters, graphic designers, project managers who some of us would admit they they don't have any, you know, technically creative endeavors outside of 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 the agency work we do um even you know i mean our studio manager is a <laughs> world-class thespian right so it's true um, yeah everyone brings something to the table there's, there's and apparently always, there's always yeah. like some some valued pov i mean any anyone working anywhere is going to have interests outside of work and i think it's just about you know how do you celebrate those interests and kind of lift them up you know even like our um, one of our strategists, our comm strategist makes like floral arrangements outside of work and is building a little floral brand. And, you know, it's just, it's just fun to see how those things trickle their way into the ideas. Um, you talked a little bit too, you kind of brought up the idea of like, you know, finding inspiration through different places. And I think that that's something that like is often, you know, kind of like considered when you're concepting anything is like where do you go to find that and we talked about this earlier with like do you go straight to Pinterest where there's just like a recycling of ideas for the most part even though it's a great place to like find and discover and compile thoughts and all that kind of stuff but I think it's it's an interesting consideration of like 
Um, you know, how do you even look like just outside of the industry of, of what you're doing? And I, I equate this a lot to like, you know, the beauty work that we've done over time. And obviously you have these, you know, big hero brands like Glossier who became the like reference point, everything in beauty um, and, and still honestly do to this day. And like kudos to them for that. But we had to start like one of the small things that we could start to do from like a very applicable level is whenever we were concepting for beauty brands, developing treatments or branding or whatever, we basically put a kibosh on like literally no reference images from Glossier. Like you just, there cannot be a single like Glossier image or okay. asset or anything in our treatment so that we can ensure that we are not following that mold specifically. And I think that's kind of going back to the like, you know, cultural filter versus cultural sponge. Um, that I think is like something for me that's very applicable on a small level. I mean, obviously there's bigger things like you were talking about, you know, how do you go to a museum or like read a print, you know, a book or something like that and find pieces of inspiration from that. Um, I think that's just about like individuals, you know, broadening themselves outside of their computers. Although like there's still so much to unpack just like even in our like digital worlds. But I do think that that's something that's like a consideration or something that I try to apply is like, how much am I pulling from certain references or certain brands specifically? And how can I push myself to say like, okay, like we're not going to do this like again kind of thing. We're not going to like pull from that reference, which I think has been a helpful tool, at least for me in trying to like change things up or, or avoid replication of things that other brands are doing. Um, I think another thing too, for me, that has been really important. Um, and I think that is something that we kind of foster here internally that I really enjoy is that there's, um, I feel like we have a, a good balance between like process and like total unprocess in the sense of like templatizing the way we concept our ideas. And that can be as linear as like the way in which we create a deck. Um, you know, we recently, uh, you know, like anything, whether you're freelance or agency or whatever, you're, you're typically doing to some degree, like a lot of the same kinds of projects over and over and over again. They're all completely different because they're different brands with different goals and it's like aesthetics, et cetera. But ultimately it's like, we do creative strategy projects as an example, or visual strategy projects where we're looking at like the visual language, like photo content, and then the visual identity, like their design system as like, you know, the brand ecosystem. And there's obviously a format to like how at least we do that. What I really enjoy doing is like stopping and like not feeling confound to your deck or the way in which you've presented ideas in the past and allow it to be influenced by the brand specifically. So like we just recently um, went through a process of a visual strategy project where we were kind of like, okay, like we can compartmentalize this by like, here's the design things that we wanna do. And here's the way that like our visuals should come through. But instead we decided to deconstruct their um, positioning statement. And within that positioning statement, there were four key words that were really important to the brand. I mean, your positioning statement should be somewhat rooted in value and you know, value proposition. And so then what we did is we basically concepted visual mood boards for each of those four key words. And so we allowed our creative position or the way that we started the visual strategy process to be rooted in brand value. And it was just like, we've never done it that way before. And I think it just allowed us to breathe like a totally different perspective into the way that we were doing it. So it's even like, 
even down to like change up your mood board slide. Like it doesn't always have to be a certain layout. It might just warrant three images. Sometimes it'll warrant like a full, you know, like grid of stuff, like who knows? But I think that that helps a redundancy problem that's less about plagiarism, but it's more about like, how do you just change it up so that you feel like the way in which you're landing on your ideas is a bit different and less about like backfilling. That's great. I mean, like I, I never even thought about it that way of like remixing your process is just as important as remixing the yeah. ideas or the inspiration that you take in. But I do, I do think there's a level that I get, I do get bored with things when I look at things for too long. I'm like, ugh, this font is like grinding on me. It just feels like so flat now. Uh, but that's my own problem. And that's probably just like uh, a, a weird nuance in myself. Um, I think another thing too, and this is kind of like my last kind of point, really, we talked about this earlier um, around the idea of like driving your ideas from an insight. And not in every situation do you have, like if you're like a designer and you don't have a team or people who are like strategists or creative directors, et cetera, who are kind of helping you land on like the why or the audience or like the feeling, things like that, um, this can be harder. It's obviously nice when you have resource, but if you are able to land on an insight before you even start, I think you're inevitably starting from a place of, um, strategic purpose that is truly connected to the brand itself and not to like, oh, this is what cool beauty stuff looks like right now. And I'm just, I'm just using beauty as like a through line for my points, but, um, and that insight can be so varied. And I've talked to a lot of different people and creatives in terms of like, I, I love to ask questions around like, how do you even start? It's like a big interview question for people who come, you know, just for like design and, and like art direction content roles. Um, it's interesting to see where people start, but I had an interesting conversation with someone recently who was telling me about this idea, basically, a it's almost like a, an insight pyramid that say a strategist would concept like, um, derived from looking at audience and competitive landscape and just kind of really understanding both in industry and out of industry, like what the opportunity is. And then landing on this idea that like the top of the pyramid is like a single word, that single word should be the thing that drives all of your decision-making, you can kind of already start to see or feel like what a design system or even like a visual system, uh, like a content system could start to look like. And then the second tier goes into more like a few different adjectives that like expand upon that. And then the third is values. Like it's not necessarily like, here's the four values of the company, but it's like the words that are rooted to their values. Um, and then the last is their positioning statement. And that really resonated with me just in the sense of like, sensibility of like a word map or like a, a sentiment that feels very rooted in the brand and then therefore my creative decisions are landed there even if you are like inevitably pulling from other people's work like i mean i think that you bring up the point of plagiarism and i think it's so interesting that like there's no way i mean i don't know you tell i mean in my mind, I'm like, there's no way for us to do the work that we do without us pulling from pre-existing things, right? Like, it's like, you ha you can't be so abstract where you're like, here's this, you know, like a Van Gogh painting and that's what's going to inspire the way that we shoot this certain thing because you're still going to pull images of like pre-existing food photography or whatever. So it's just like, it's such an interesting cycle to me where it's like, you can't really do what we do without pulling from what's out in the world. But then it's like, it is just down to like, how do you remix it fresh but then is it like ever really fresh i don't know this is like probably a whole separate conversation yeah and then i guess that kind of brings me to um like one last question for you is um 
has has your work ever been plagiarized like um has you know or even the agency's work i guess is 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 better i mean i obviously think or is it plagiarized or referenced yeah. and 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 how did that make you feel? you know i really i can't like pinpoint a specific moment of like plagiarism i think that because i feel like we do work in a world or like in especially in our industry where it's like kind of the foundation of it is building off pre-existing ideas and i think that again that book steal like an artist is a really great way to like pack that sentiment in that you know it's about you doing your due diligence to make sure that you're making it uniquely ownable for you or for the project or for your brand or whatever um i can certainly i yes i have moments where i'm like that is a hundred percent our thing um and it grinds you for a minute but i think the thing that i find really frustrating is when you do you know obviously in in the kind of work we do we're working with a lot of different brands making a lot of different kind of like proposed suggestions and and you know like thinking about how their brand comes through through design and through visuals etc and when you keep getting pushback from a client like or, or any situation it could be internal stuff and they just keep saying no even though you're like i know this is right for you if you want to go where you want to go like this is right this is right this is right and then for whatever reason you know your relationship ends with them or whatever and then six months down the line you see them start to do the thing that you were trying to do for so long. And you're like, ah, oh, that's like what other creatives, whether it's like an internal person, external, I don't know the dynamic, like what other person made you believe that that was the right decision? I mean, it, it, it could be that someone was more persuasive with a similar idea or, and in the RFP, they just went with the agency that they already had a True. relationship with, but then took your Happens idea and and gave it to them, you know? So it happens all the time. And at the end of the day, it shows that our ideas are on the right track and that we're Yeah. Okay, we're so finale right question so. to tie a bow on this awesome podcast. What is a point of inspiration for your work that people might not expect? You answer first and then I'll answer. It may surprise people just the amount of like <laughs> pulpy stuff that I am interested in. Um, or like especially in quarantine i guess like uh, i'm i'm like fascinated with like with things that aren't like super esoteric right like the idea of las vegas is very interesting to me or um most people probably wouldn't expect that that i'm into uh, reality <laughs> shows like selling sunset so i think that i i like watching the criterion collection films but then I also I also like the junk food as well and you know that's why some of us at the yeah at the I agency think, for know, a I guess junk food ate, ate trash food every fuel, so. I think maybe it's more like a surprise to myself but obviously you know over the last couple of years we've seen like a massive rise in catalog culture again and you know people have kind of flipped the switch on like the way they do that and it can be much more editorial or whatever but I'm I'm like definitely one of those people that like reads every catalog I get even if it's like some weird Roman shades brand that doesn't look cool, but like, I'm, I'm intrigued as to how they're like presenting their products and their ideas. Like, did they take an editorial approach or did they not? Um, and so weirdly, I'm like, I'm pretty, I like, I, I spend my, I spend some time with catalogs for a reason. And I do buy things from catalogs too, but for the most part, I do find that I might get inspired by like something that with the print layout or the way that they like position something or the opposite be kind of like, Oh God, they've got this so wrong. And it's just kind of like, 
of me as a consumer consuming and then thinking about like what my reaction was to those things and what I could like glean from that. So catalogs are kind of like a weird, a weird thing that I enjoy. Well, this is awesome. Jonathan, great topic. I love it. I actually feel like we could have like three additional sidebar conversations around this. Um, but I really enjoyed having this conversation with you today. I think this is episode two. So you're actually the first new voice to come into sessions. Um, and thank you to everyone. And we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.